Today's sermon is called Bold Prayer. Uh, there's a, a famous theologian and pastor, his name was A.W. Tozer. And in one of his books, he wrote that the greatest event in history was when Jesus came down to earth and died for our sins. He said the second greatest event in history was right after when the early church started. When the church began and when they began to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. That was the second greatest event. Now he goes on to say that the church is not just an organization, but a walking incarnation of spiritual power. Now what he means by spiritual power is that it's not necessarily a power of healing or a power of miracles or something like that. What he's talking about here is that the church has a spiritual power that allows us to face persecution and suffering and still have joy in the midst of it. That allows us to go through even the, even the most difficult of times, some of the worst times of your life, and yet still have peace in the midst of it. That's the type of power he's talking about. This is important for us to understand because many of us have forgotten that the church is more than just an organization. I think for a lot of us, we think of the church as simply this company, as this building, as this place. And yet, what the Bible tells us is that God has specifically equipped the church with a spiritual power to be unshakable in the midst of hardship. The reason I'm telling you this is because in this passage, the early church had this type of power. Verse 23 says that John and Peter were released from prison. And what happened is they went back to tell the church everything that had happened. Now, what this means is that they told the church some very bad news. Because what they were able to tell the church is that the government is willing to imprison and kill those who believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. We know a week before that the reason why Peter and John were released was because they were well-known and well-loved among the people, that it would have caused too much of a ruckus for the elders and the leaders to have killed Peter and John. And yet the rest of the church knew that they were not as famous as those disciples. The rest of the church knew that if they were caught, there would not be a huge outcry, a huge pouring out of love to take them out of prison. They knew that if they were caught, they would die. But don't you see that the response of the church after they heard this was simple. They prayed for boldness. In church, when they prayed, they became unshakable. And so all I want to do is just look at three things that the church did. Three things that the church did when they encountered suffering. And the first is that they prayed. That's it. They prayed. The second is that they prayed for boldness. And third is that their prayer for boldness made them unshakable. Okay? So that's it. Let's read verses 23 and 24. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, to this point, all we have seen are miracles. To this point, all we have seen are people being saved. It has been good thing after good thing after good thing. But at this very point, they realized that many of them were going to die for their faith. They realized that after this specific moment in the near future, they were going to die. And we see this in the rest of the book of Acts. And we see this even in secular history books where there have been Christian men, women, and children who have died for their faith in the early church. And so for us, as we read this, we would think that there must have been so much fear when they heard this. But it's strange because in verse 24, it says that when they heard it, they immediately lifted their voices together to God. The church's first response to persecution was to pray. The moment they realized what was going to happen, they turned to God and prayed about their concerns. Their response to difficulties was prayer. Church, what is your first response when you face difficulty? I know that some of us talk to friends, some of us get coffee, some of us go work out, some of us go to sleep. I remember seeing a survey that asked people, how do you deal with stressful situations? All of the answers were like this. They slept, they would watch a movie, they would eat ice cream, they would run outside, they would do all these things, and none of them are bad. However, for the Christian, you have to understand that the only way to have the power to get through life is first through prayer. The only way for us to endure through the hardships of life is going to be through prayer. It's going to be through our relationship with God, through our conversing and knowing who the Lord is. It's that. You see, Peter and John could have given up and they could have just waited for things to cool down. They could have seen the difficulties and the persecutions and everything that was going to happen and just have laid low. And yet, instead of giving up, what they do is that the church goes harder into their fears, goes harder into their persecution, and the catalyst for their boldness and reaching to those things was prayer. For them, they weren't sure what to do, and yet their response before anything else was to pray, and it was through prayer that they realized that they needed to move forward and not back. Verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Peter and John told their friends what happened, and right away they prayed. In the early church, you have to realize, for them, prayer was like breathing. It was second nature to them. It's why in this verse, we don't read about them holding some council. We don't read about them holding some meeting. We don't, we don't hear them holding some discussion and, and wondering what to do. It says that their immediate response was to pray. Church, when was the last time you have prayed like this? When was the last time you felt like prayer was like breathing to you? 
When was the last time your immediate situation, whether that was good or whether that was bad, led you to pray? Church, what's happened is that we have modern-day Christians who call themselves Christians and who say they believe in the Lord, and yet when difficult times come around, they will turn to absolutely everything else other than God. And when things become that difficult, and they turn away, and they face towards everything else, it means that they're willing to cling on to those things that will crumble around them. And so when their life begins to crumble, they turn to something else that they think won't. And yet when that begins to crumble, they'll turn to something else where they think that they won't. And yet it crumbles and crumbles and crumbles. The only thing, the only one who can ever give you any true stability is going to be God. This is what the people here understood. This is why their first response was prayer. This is why in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of persecution, their first response was to pray. That's where the power of the church comes from. Now, here's the thing. I've been able to talk to a lot of Christians and they've told me the same thing. They said, look, I've prayed to God during the most difficult times of my life. And I have heard nothing. I have prayed to God for a miracle. I have prayed to God to, for him to do something. And he has been silent. And so guess what, Pastor Danny? I am jaded. I am upset. And I am bitter towards God. And in fact, I think I may even hate him. My one question that I always ask when I hear this is, how was your prayer life before? How was your relationship with the Lord before? And church, the answer is almost always that they have not been praying. That they, the, the relationship with the Lord was almost non-existent before. That they were not walking with the Lord faithfully before. But when things got difficult, they prayed to God that he would do a miracle in their lives. And when he didn't answer, it must mean that he does not love them. Do you realize how foolish that type of thinking is? Because if we are unfaithful to God in our daily lives, and yet when something terrible happens and we pray and God performs a miracle every single time, why would we ever develop a prayer life? Why would we ever desire a relationship with the Lord? Why would I ever want to develop a daily habit of praying if I know that God is going to answer me in my worst times? Why would I ever treat God with respect if I can just treat God as a genie and he's still going to answer me? You see, if God answered us every time we cried out and we were unfaithful, all that does is cement the idea, man, that we don't need to pray. We don't need a relationship with the Lord. We can just do what we're doing, continue to live unfaithfully, and when things get difficult, that's when we should pray. And when that happens, we will never grow as Christians, 
When that happens, we will never mature in our faith because we know that God will answer us even when we disrespect him. Church, the reason why God doesn't answer you is not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you too much for you to stay where you are. The early church didn't start praying when persecution happened. You have to understand this. Their prayer life simply changed topics once they realized that suffering and persecution were in front of them. They didn't need to start their motors and, and start from zero to 100. They were already going steadily. All they needed to do was change their topic a little bit. They were praying. It was like breathing to them. And so God honored that and filled them with power to be bold and courageous in the face of persecution. And this goes to my next point. And it's that the church prayed for boldness. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see, when we think about praying for boldness, it doesn't really resonate with our generation. It doesn't really connect with many of us because when I say praying for boldness, we don't really think about that. But when I say, hey, let's pray for forgiveness, yeah, we understand that. When I say, hey, let's pray for restoration, yeah, we understand that. When I say, let's pray for healing, we get that. And you know, those are all good and those are all biblical. But church, when was the last time you have prayed for boldness? When was the last time that you prayed to the Lord that he would make you into a radical Christian? When was the last time you prayed to the Lord that he would give you a situation where you would have to defy expectations, where you would have to go against the status quo, where you had to be antithetical to what everyone else is saying, and that you would have to be a Christian in the midst of non-Christians? When was the last time you prayed for boldness? It's okay to pray for healing. It's good to pray for forgiveness. But you have to understand that the church in the early, in, the, in, the, in Acts, the early church in Acts didn't just pray for healing or for forgiveness or for those things. They prayed for boldness, to stand in the midst of suffering, to say, look, persecution is going to come, and I'm not going to pray that persecution go away. I'm going to pray that I'm bold in the midst of persecution. I'm going to pray that God, he do something great in my life through suffering. That's how the early church prayed. Yes, they prayed for healing. Of course they did. Yes, they prayed for forgiveness. Of course they did. But we've lost that in this church today. We've lost that within us in this generation. We're so focused upon those things. We've lost the ability and the, and the understanding to realize that we are warriors for the Lord. That he has equipped us with all the tools necessary to go out in the midst of the world. To turn it upside down. That we're not meant to just be influenced, but we're meant to influence others for the name of Christ. That if Jesus Christ has overcome death and sin, and everything else. He's by our side. He's for us. He's with us. And if he's with us, then what can truly be against us? 
When was the last time that you prayed, God, would you not take away my suffering, but would you allow my suffering to help grow my faith? When was the last time you prayed for boldness? This church in, this, in Acts, they didn't pray for protection or for healing. They prayed for boldness to face their fears in persecution. Now the question becomes, how do you pray for boldness? Do you just simply shout it out? Do you simply just cry for it? Do you simply just want it that bad? Well, let's look at verse 24. It says, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The way the church prayed was not by first asking God to take away suffering, but it was first by talking about the greatness of God. It wasn't about asking God to, to remove this one thing. It was about talking about the character and the love and the greatness of God to God. You see, their boldness came not from God taking away their fear, but by God placing in them a greater courage than their fear. I think this is really important for us to understand because here's a newsflash. This world sucks sometimes. And we may pray that our present suffering may end. And that's a good thing to pray. We can pray that our suffering today is going to end, but here's the thing. Something bad is going to happen tomorrow. Cancer is going to come about tomorrow. An accident is going to come about in two days. Death will happen in three days. There's always something there. But God does not belittle those things. He does not think smaller of those. He doesn't ignore them. He tells us to look at him because he says that he is more powerful than those things. And he's saying, look, if you have fear, that's okay. Look at me. I will give you courage. Do you have fear? That's okay. Look at me. I'm going to give you faith to overcome your fear. Do you have fear? That's okay. Look at me because I'm going to give you love that casts out that fear. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't belittle it. He doesn't make smaller your suffering. He says, I'm going to give you more of myself. And the more you know of me, the more you know of my character, the more you know of my promises, the more courage and boldness you will have to face and overcome your fears. That's how you overcome it. It's not by taking away those sufferings, because guess what? Something is going to happen tomorrow. It's not by taking away your hardship, because guess what? Something is going to happen next week. It's by understanding that you serve and love a God that loves you, that is greater than anything else in this world. That's how you overcome your fear. That's how you overcome your difficulties. That's how you overcome your hardships. This is why the church started out their prayer talking about God. They didn't ask for their suffering to stop. They asked for a greater vision of God. They didn't ask for the persecution to end. They asked for a deeper knowledge of God. They, didn't, they understood that the power they needed to endure was not found in less suffering, but it was in a greater understanding of the Lord. And lastly, 
because of this boldness. This church, these people, these believers were unshakable. Look, prayer isn't easy. And I know that praying that God would give us boldness within our suffering, that's especially difficult. But the reason I say that our church is able to do this, that our church is able to pray in this way, that our church is able to be bold and unshakable is because of verse 31. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Scholars say that this is the climax of this passage. And the reason why is because in the Bible, God's presence is oftentimes connected with earthquakes. On Mount Sinai, when the presence of God came down, it said that, the, it said that an earthquake happened that was so powerful that Mount Sinai almost split apart. It said that the mountain almost melted. When God appeared to Isaiah, it said that the temple shook extreme extremely badly. Even for myself, I remember I experienced an earthquake when I was living in California. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced earthquakes before. Guess what? It's terrifying. Especially if you're indoors. Man, you feel so helpless. All I remember is one day everything was fine and the next minute, man, my whole world was shaking. And I, all I remember is I just had tunnel vision. I was just running to the door. I was like, I kind of like blacked out. I think I was like pushing away women and, and children and babies and, and just running as fast as I could, right? This was before I was saved. And, and I just, I, I was just going as fast as I could because I was scared. Church, the reason why earthquakes happen in the Bible, especially when God comes down, was because something much greater was coming in contact with something much, much lesser. What, let me give you an example. When it first starts to snow and you walk on a puddle that has ice on it, what happens is the ice shakes and it breaks because you are greater than the ice that you are stepping on. This is exactly what happens when God's presence comes down. His presence is greater than anything on this world. And that's why in verse 31, the entire room was shaken. And I'm sure, I'm sure in any other situation, the people there would be terrified. How scary are earthquakes? They must have wanted to run towards the door. They must have wanted to escape as quickly as possible. They must have been afraid because they must have thought they were about to die. But they aren't afraid. Instead, it says that they become more bold and that they preach the gospel even more fearlessly. And so the question is, why are they not afraid when everything around them shakes? And it's because in Matthew 27, there was this other earthquake that came about. And it says that in Matthew 27, the land became dark. And that Jesus, he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus gives up his spirit, it says that the curtain ripped in two and that the entire earth shook. 
is that, that the rocks split. You see, church, the reason this church, the reason the early church was unshakable in the midst of everything else that was shaking was because they understood that Jesus Christ had taken the ultimate price. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that the ultimate earthquake that was meant to destroy them, that was meant to destroy their lives and their souls was given to Jesus. That he paid the ultimate price. And so even when everything else shakes around them, that even when their entire world seems to fall apart, they are fine, they are bold, they preach the gospel fearlessly because for them, Jesus Christ has taken the sting of death away. For them, hardship, persecution, and death are only one step closer to eternal glory. For them, they understood that one phrase, to live is Christ, but guess what? To die is gain. And so for them, even though everything was shaking, they were fine. Church, don't you want this? Don't you desire this power? It's yours if you want it. God has empowered the church. It has equipped us to have this power. Not necessarily a power of miracles or of healing, but a power to be able to withstand any type of persecution, any type of hardship, any type of difficulty, and stand firm and steady and have peace and joy because of this one truth. Even if the whole world shakes, that's okay because Jesus Christ has taken the ultimate pain of death away. He saved me. He's paid the ultimate price. And now for me, I'm going to live boldly. I'm going to live courageously. And I'm going to live for the Lord. I hope that Shining Star is a church that is able to pray in the midst of suffering and hardship. Not that suffering would end, but that our relationship with God would deepen through the suffering. That's what I pray for. That's what I hope for. And that's what I hope that you would pray for as well. Let's be bold and pray. Let's pray now.